0: Sari Ibrahim is on the show today. Sari is CEO and President of Financial Asset Protection, a group that offers whole life insurance services that are geared towards wealth protection and growth strategies. You can learn more about them via their website, finassetprotection.com. Sari, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Andrew, thanks for having me on, I appreciate it.
0: Well, Sari, you're new to the show, Maybe for the audience uh, here, maybe just talk about your background for a moment, and then what brought you to the whole life insurance business?
1: So I uh, started about five years ago. I was doing my master's degree, you know, my MBA, and I started working at Allstate Insurance. I was working in risk mitigation and with like commercial insurance policies for business owners. I did that for a couple of years. and pivoted transitioned into uh, Medicare. So I was working with companies like Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Humana, Health Spring, And I was working particularly with retirees, people who were like 64 years old, merging onto their own Medicare plans. So they were leaving their employer plans and then getting their own individually owned Medicare plans. And that's what I was helping them do. I was helping them make that transition. And um, during that, I started to build a relationship with these clients. And one of my clients asked me, if I could help him with uh, life insurance. And he mentioned vaguely that there's a type of policy that has cash value, and then eventually the policy will pay for itself from the cash value that has built up in the policy. And I wasn't really sure what he was referring to because I had already had background in in Medicare and other types of insurance. Uh, So I told him I would do more research for him and I would get back to him. And I started searching for books about life insurance and cash value life insurance. And I came across this book uh, called Bank on Yourself Revolution by Pamela Yellen. And the book pretty much talks about this concept called the bank on yourself concept. It's also known as the infinite banking concept. And what this concept means or what it does is it's the utilization of cash value whole life insurance for more than just the actual life insurance, but rather for you to store your cash and become your own source of financing and and almost like to to insource your banking functions within your business or your, or your, your personal life. So I pretty much became like obsessed with this concept, and I, I really, really fell in love with it, and I started doing more research on it. I read another book called Becoming Your Own Banker by Nelson Nash. Nelson Nash is the one who invented the infinite banking concept, again, using whole life insurance mainly for the cash use, for the living benefits, and then that led me to uh, the Bank on Yourself training program. They have like an eight-week advisor program that I went through. Um, and now I'm a bank on yourself professional and so is our firm, Financial Asset Protection. We we mostly specialize in the infinite banking concept or the bank on yourself concept. So we we still do Medicare, but it's mostly revolving around financial services and the utilization of cash value, whole life insurance. We mostly work with a lot of real estate investors and business owners and to help them kind of store money for the future, but at the same time also be able to access it. So it's not necessarily either or either they're using their money now within their business or investments or, you know, they're they're saving for retirement. So it's kind of an integration of both. And I'll definitely get into more as we as we go along with this episode.
0: Talk about just uh, and I want to go back to that for a moment, but during your time in the business, what was kind of the sticking point for you to to change and, and really focus in and start up on financial asset protection and what services specifically are you guys providing now to your clients under that firm
1: yeah so what got me into it is pretty much when once i realized this bank on yourself concept and on whole life insurance and how you could build up cash value and how eventually over time the cash will compound it kind of like it was like an aha moment like it was like a light bulb went off and i was like well this can help a lot of people this doesn't just fit like for example in medicare it only fit a certain demographic or a certain target market but this infinite banking and bank on yourself could help anybody and it's not just wealthy people or or wealthy businesses um it could be anybody uh so that kind of like a light bulb went off and i was like i should be taught i should learn this very very properly and i should try to help as many people as i can and our firm mostly structures whole life insurance for business owners and real estate investors, we work with primarily three insurance companies that are mutual insurance companies. And Andrew, it's key that um, that it, they're mutual insurance companies because what we're talking about here doesn't pertain to all whole life insurance companies and, and all products. It has to be fra- issued by a mutual insurance company, and that's the first thing. It has to be from a mutual insurance company because of the way dividends are paid with the mutual insurance companies' dividends are paid back to the policy owners, which explains how you can build up the cash value in the policy over time. But if it's a stock owned insurance company, um, the dividends and profits, of course, would go back to the shareholders. So it's, it's key that it's we're using mutual insurance companies. And the second aspect to, to consider with the companies and the products we use is there has to be something called non-direct recognition loan feature. Um, as opposed to direct recognition. And what that means is when, you, when we have these whole life policies and we're building up the cash value in them, uh, we go to access that cash value, we're not subtracting from the cash value, we're simply borrowing against that um, f- from the insurance company. So for example, let's say a business owns a whole life insurance policy, it's, a, it's an asset of theirs, and within that asset, they have $100,000 in cash value, and the business needs liquidity, they need to access $50,000 in, in cash, they go to the whole life insurance company. They borrow $50,000 from the insurance company's general funds, leveraging their $100,000 cash value. So they're not subtracting from that. They're simply borrowing against it. And then when they do that, they, they pay interest on that $50,000 loan, 5% simple interest, but they're earning about 4 to 5% compound interest on their overall $100,000. So eventually, what happens is it creates this arbitrage where they're earning more in their in their policy, their cash value is increasing more than what they are buying that money at. So there's so it's essentially it becomes profitable within the policy. There's a growth and a return within the policy that outpaces what the loan cost is. It becomes cheaper to use whole life insurance company's money, the, the company the, from the whole life insurance company, as opposed to using your own cash or using third party financing. And this is where becoming your own banker or becoming your own source of financing comes into play. So this is this is what we do. We work with the mutual insurance companies that are non-direct recognition, and we structure it mostly for real estate investors and business owners.
0: Okay, you know, essentially financial asset protection. The firm is acts as somewhat of an agent uh, to those mutual insurance companies. Can you just speak to just a, a couple names that that maybe the audience would be familiar with as far as who you work with that are mutual insurance businesses?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's three of them. and One of them is Lafayette Insurance Company. The second one is Forrester's Financial. And the third one is Security Mutual. And these three companies, of course, are mutually owned insurance companies. Uh, They're non-direct recognition. And they have also bought into the infinite banking concept or the bank on yourself concept, meaning they are up to date with this concept. Uh, Whole life insurance has been around for over 160 years but uh, the infinite banking concept has only been around for about 20 years. So it's kind of a modern form of whole life insurance. It's more of a high early cash value function where we're we're funding the policies to have as much cash value in in the beginning years, as much as possible, as opposed to the traditional whole life insurance, which takes many years. Traditional whole life insurance can take about 10 or 15 years to start actually seeing potential growth. The policies we set up the infinite banking way can start building up cash value by year two, year three, could start having significant cash value depending on the overall funding of the policy. So these companies, again, have bought into our concept and and they've also bought into the flexibility of being able to actually bank on yourself and um, kind of create it as a way to Invest, invest in real estate, invest in your business, and to have cash you could store, but at the same time access, regardless of market conditions. And also, you never have to qualify for these loans. There's no financial underwriting involved. The business or the person will always be able to access up to 90% of the cash value within the business.
0: Okay. And go back to a moment about the regulation and the jurisdictional part of this. The whole life insurance, mutual insurance business is written into U.S. laws. Talk just briefly for the audience about how this is allowed, how it was made allowed. And obviously this is a U.S. vehicle, but it would be available to anyone on the globe who wanted to set it up in the U.S. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, usually the insured would have to either be a a U.S. citizen or permanent resident. We have we worked on clients that were in different countries, but they've owned like LLCs or corporations within the U.S. So typically it's um, everything we're talking about pertains to U.S. companies. Um, on U.S. soil. However, in some situations, we can work with foreign investors, offshore investors, if um, they own companies or have insurable interests in in the United States.
0: And talk about the insurance code. Walk us back through that and talk about the regulatory atmosphere surrounding whole life insurance.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So whole life insurance companies are they're highly regulated, um, and they they have to stay on the conservative side of investments. About 60 to 80 percent of their their investments are in uh, the bond market and then about 20 to 40 percent are in private loans and they charge interest on those loans they provide loans to banks um so they can't invest in the stock market they can't invest in speculative investments they have to stay more on the conservative quote-unquote safer side and um and that's why they've been doing this that's why they've been around for over 160 years you see insurance companies have the same names they have the same addresses for hundreds of years um it's not you know like other types of institutions that, you know, can can be bought and sold and, and kind of acquired and closed. And, and there's a lot of like turnover and, and other types of institutions. Well, with insurance companies, they have like the same uh, presence for over 100 years because of the way they're regulated and because what they can do with those funds, um, even, even with the policies like, for example, with cash value in the policies and growing and earning dividends, We've the companies that I mentioned, Lafayette, Security Mutual, and Foresters, have been paying dividends for over a hundred years, even through you know the Great Depression, even through the 2008 market crash, and even right now with the uncertainties of the pandemic. So they're not necessarily so when the market takes a dip, the insurance companies don't take a dip with them, and particularly through the way they're regulated.
0: And these companies, the, the particular ones that you're working with, are any of them publicly listed?
1: No, uh, mutually, yeah, they're only mutually owned, not not publicly.
0: Okay. Understood. And is there a particular place that maybe a resource for the audience where they can go and learn more about the regulatory environment and I guess the U.S. code surrounding insurance businesses that you can point them to?
1: Yeah, definitely. So there's a couple of things they could do. Uh, Simply Google searching. Um, So the companies are are regulated by the Department of Insurance in each state at at the state level. So you can search the Department of Insurance. You can check um, to see complaints, reviews, different insurance companies you can google the insurance company's names and then try to find their filings if they have any public information like that so it's so pretty much those couple ways
0: let me ask you uh kind of the process maybe we could start with that walk us through the process that that maybe an, an audience member would experience here if they contacted you and they wanted to go through the process can you just talk about Step one, all the way through, that they would be expected to go through, and and just talk about the minimums that may be suitable for this investment strategy, and and using you know whole life insurance, and what total costs they can expect to get this set up.
1: So, so the first step we do with all our clients and businesses is we go through a financial analysis call. Uh, it takes about sixty to ninety minutes to do, and this is where we kind of take a deep dive into their assets, their current financial situation, where they want to go financially, with their needs and wants, and then. From the data that we collect in that call, we have a second call. It's our personalized solution call. It's where we build out the whole life policy and we choose a company, we choose a product in the actual state, and then we build out that policy based on the information we collect in the financial analysis call. And then we, after building out the policy, now there has to be an insured, somebody who's going to be insured. Even if it's a business, even if the business owns the policy, there has to be an actual person that's going to be the insured. So we kind of identify who that will be, then submit the policy to uh, underwriting. Usually the policy is going to require medical underwriting to get approved since we are talking about life insurance. And it takes about four to six weeks to, to get that approval. And then after the approval, then we can start funding the policy and then there's different ways to fund it different companies so some some plant, some comp, some products are funded monthly some are funded annually and then some are a single premium whole life policy where it's just a one time payment and then no further contributions are required but the policy keeps growing um, typically the minimums we've seen are for the clients we worked with are around $300 per month. That's if we're talking about an individual, not, not usually not a business owner, just somebody who wants to kind of set up a, a, a retirement plan or set up some sort of way to store cash and actually see it build up over time, um, about $300 a month. And then I've worked on different cases. Some cases are around 50 dollars to $60,000 per month. So it all, it all comes down to the budget and where they're at financially. We want it to make sense for the business or for the actual individual to start funding the policy. Another case that I worked on um, was with a real estate investor, and he had some properties. He sold one of his properties for uh, $400,000 in cash, and then he kind of had some different options. Like he was thinking about like money market or CDs, uh, but he he figured because interest rates are kind of um, they're not so high right now, so he figured that he could put it into a single premium whole life policy, uh, just a one-time transaction, and he he bought a single premium whole life policy for $400,000. And then as soon as he did that, he had two benefits. He had cash value available use of $375,000. And then he had a death benefit or the life insurance amount of $580,000. So if he passed away, his beneficiary would get $580,000. But while he's living, he could could borrow from the insurance company, take out a loan up to $375,000. And then both the cash value and the death benefit increase every year without any further contributions needed. And of course, regardless of market conditions, they both keep climbing, keep increasing. And it's also his ability to borrow from that policy um, is still there. He could borrow at any time for any reason. There are no government restrictions on what you could use that money for. You could borrow. You could also pay back the loan at your own time and your own frequency. So you can control the frequency of the payments and and how much you pay back to the insurance company. As long as you you pay it back within, quote, unquote, reasonable time, um, that would be uh, – that you have to have to pay back the policy. What that means is you never want the loan balance and the policy to exceed your cash value. If that happens, the policy could lapse. So the point is you want to pay back the, the loans within reasonable time. Uh, so that's pretty much you can fund them. Smallest policies we've worked on around $300 a month. Um, we've I've worked on policies around fifty dollars to $60,000 a year. And then the one, the 400000 there really is no limit as long as you could prove that the business or the individual um, ha- makes about twenty or could get up to 25 times the annual income. So if somebody makes $100,000 a year, they could get up to $2.5 million in life insurance. And of course, same thing applies to the business. So there is some financial, in, in that sense, in getting approved for the policy, there is some sort of uh, financial underwriting that the insurance company investigates because they just have to make sure that the business and the person is able, in the eyes of the IRS, able to get that much tax-deferred or some the situations the tax, tax-free income.
0: Okay. So what I would do is I would essentially, for an example here, maybe you can give me some more specifics. Let's say I've got, oh, just for simple math, let's just call it a hundred thousand. I would go and start up a company and through that company, I would obtain this policy. And let's say I used your services. That amount was a hundred thousand from the get-go. What would be the the premium if I wanted just a one-time cost to get that set up? what would be the cost involved on your side, assuming I set up the business and and then came to you, what would be the total cost that people can expect under that one-time premium scenario?
1: Yeah, so if it's a one-time premium scenario using $100,000, typically what's going to happen is, and if the business owns the policy, um, typically what will happen is the whole life policy will be $100,000 total, and then... Two things would happen at that point. One, you would have cash value use of about maybe $80,000 that you can use in cash value. And then depending on how old the insured is, you would have the life insurance amount. Uh, let's say just to give you like a, a, a even number, let's say $300,000 is the life insurance. It could be more than that. Well, let's just say, for example, it's $300,000. That's how much the insurance policy is for. And then both of those would grow every year. Now our firm, our agency doesn't charge service fees or consulting fees for setting these up. We get paid from the insurance companies as like a broker to facilitate and to coordinate these policies and to of course, find the, the customers and connect them with the insurance company. So we are commission based and we're not fee based if that, if that answer your question.
0: Okay. And what would that be based on? Just give the audience an idea. What would be your commission yeah. for setting up that scenario?
1: Yes, it depends on um, the amount. It depends on um, also with which company, but just kind of a general sense. If we were to do like a $100,000 policy, our commission would probably be around pretty much between like 4 and 5%. So we'd get four dollars or $5,000 from that 100000 And then the fees usually in whole life insurance are the highest in the first year and part of that fee. So for example, if you put in 100000 and then you're able to borrow up to 80000 there's like... In the first year there's like a twenty thousand dollar dip and that's because of servicing the life insurance servicing the policy part of that is our commission part of that but the commission is is wrapped up into that total fee in the first year and then let's say and then year two your cash value is going to increase because you're going to earn dividends and compound interest from the insurance company so eventually you recoup the cost of the whole policy plus more um, after you, you have the policy in place and you always have liquidity too so access to the money
0: on that $100,000 scenario example, what would be the insurance company's one-time premium?
1: The one-time premium would be $100,000. That would go to the insurance company, and then the client would be able to access about 80% of that, and then they would have the life insurance. So their fees would be wrapped up into their first year uh, premium. In other words, if you put in $100,000 into a policy, and then you walked away from the policy, you'd walk away with $80,000. So the $20,000 that was the missing the, the delta, went to the insurance company, and part of that went to our agency as a fee. But of course, we're not in the business of just setting up policies for one year and then canceling them. We, it's more of a long term, and we want the clients to keep the policies to build up as much interest and dividends in the policy to eventually help them recoup the cost. Ever, we don't want to be an insurance expense. We want to help them financially um, increase their their business values, increase their overall net worth using these policies
0: let's take it to the next stage. So then from there, I take that back as the 80000 roughly as a loan through the business. And of course, the terms of the loan, as long as they're reasonable, those terms can be set. And then from there, within the business, the business can turn around and invest that money, whatever it might be, real estate, bonds, stocks, whatever. Maybe you can speak to that about the terms of the loan agreement. It's whatever's reasonable in the terms of investment activities. Now, the mutual companies have to be conservative, but you can essentially invest in bonds and stocks and you know collectibles, real estate, opportunity zones, lending, whatever the company's uh, focus is. is that correct?
1: Yeah, exactly. Well said yeah, definitely. So you can so even though the insurance company is at a conservative point, you could essentially take that loan money and invest it in whatever you want. You'd pretty much finance your own stocks or your own investments on your own terms. And then hopefully you would make money with the investments and you would make money in the policy. Your money would do two things for you at the same time. It'd be working for you in two different places. And this is exactly what banks and and large corporations do is they fund these policies with billions of dollars. They grow them. uh, They earn dividends and compound interest on billions of dollars. And then they borrow from the insurance companies and then they use that within their businesses. And they even loan that money out to people via credit cards, mortgages, lines of credit. They earn interest on those. And they earn interest within the company, within the insurance company. So it's kind of working for them in two different places. This is exactly what we show our clients how to do. We show them how to kind of have their money work for them in two different places. And it's not either or, you know, it's not either stocks or commodities or real estate. Um, or whole life insurance. It's kind of an integration of all of the above. You can fund the whole life policy and then be able to borrow from the whole life policy and then invest in whatever it is you want to invest and control the payback period. So that way your money is working for you in two different places. You also have a hedge in case something happens with your investments. If the the values um, go down or collapse, you have your whole life policy still there. As long as you can pay back that loan within reasonable time, you keep your funds growing and you have that appreciating asset still there.
0: Okay. And so the loan, for example, I could make up an agreement that basically says I pay, you know, X amount per month or per quarter or or semi-annually back towards this and at a reasonable interest rate, I, I assume that's how that works. So it's fairly open and broad as far as the terms of payback. Is that correct? Correct. Yep. Yeah. Well, that sounds good. So what types of investments maybe are not allowed under this vehicle?
1: Yeah, there are no restrictions at all. You could use the money for whatever you want, no restrictions.
0: Talk just about the more preferred way that you've seen it done, Sari, and what you guys would probably recommend uh, generally, I guess, as far as, you know, the most frequently used vehicles. Talk about the structure and and what do you see as the most optimized way to set it up? Are you using a domestic uh, specific state LLC, S Corp? And also, you mentioned it. For folks outside the US, they can use set up a US company and then from there use that as their vehicle to take advantage of the whole life insurance and and the mutual life insurance, you know, setup that the US offers. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's correct. And just to be clear, like, even though we could use this for uh, that's owned by an LLC or C Corp or S Corp. It doesn't necessarily, you don't have to have the company in place to start the whole life policy. You can own it individually just as a person. You know, just your name andrew you would own the whole life policy and it would it would have nothing to do with the business but in the sense of if there was an actual business it could be used or it could be owned by the business and this is what we do during the financial analysis call we figure out you know where what's currently what's currently in place if, is there a business in place and if there is a business in place then we determine if it's um feasible to or, or better to do it under the business name or the personal name so it doesn't have to be a business it's just it, it, that's one of the options that could be on the table um, and of course, but if, if it's from outside the U.S., it would have to be owned by a business because there would have to be insurable interest on U.S. soil. The best way we've seen the policies grow is through the single premium cases, just because that it delivers the most liquidity. Uh, for example, if somebody is funding a policy with $10,000 a year, that's still good, and that that could still be in a line with their retirement goals. However, um, it's going to take some time to build up the cash value. So if you are looking to invest in investments that require you to have, like for example, $100,000 to invest in, and you start off a policy with $10,000 a year, it might take you you know, six or seven years to get to that $100,000 cash value part because it's going to take time to build up the policy. Maybe a little bit less. I'm just doing math kind of in my head because I'm, I'm calculating $10,000 per year plus the compound interest and dividends over time. But there is going to be a capitalization period And and depending on what you do for work and what you do for your investments, it's going to be different for, of course, different people and, and of course, your your risk level. But pretty much we've seen the single premium cases as, I mean, I don't want to say the best way, but the better way because of the higher liquidity. Um, In the example I mentioned earlier, with $400,000, the client was able to use up to $375,000. And he could use it for real estate. He can use it for another business. He can even invest in stocks or, or whatever he wants to invest in so we've seen the single premium cases also another important thing to touch on andrew is the the tax benefits of this and i'm not a tax professional so seek your tax professional before doing this but just kind of from a just to give you like a general idea that the growth of the policy the growth of the whole life policy grows tax deferred So even if you have gains and and you're earning dividends and compound interest in the policy, you don't have to claim that as as growth in your policy and pay taxes on it, It grows tax deferred. And in most situations, not every situation, but in most situations, when you go to access that money, you take that money out. Even if there are gains, you don't have to pay taxes on those because you're using after-tax dollars to fund the policy. And this is the same thing with businesses too. They could grow essentially a tax deferred pool of cash and this asset sits on the balance sheet of their business it grows, regardless of market conditions, it grows tax deferred. And then when they go access that money as loan or withdrawal, it's tax free. And of course, when they sell the business, they could sell the business with the whole life policy on that as, a, as, a, as an asset. Uh, and of course, that would correlate or connect with the overall value of the business. So as the asset is growing, the value of the business is growing as well on a tax deferred basis.
0: Talk about the tax for a moment, because when does the tax kick in? When can it be taxable?
1: It could be taxable if it's uh, something called a modified endowment contract, and that is something called a seven-pay test, and it's by the IRS. And if it doesn't meet the seven-pay test, meaning that within the first seven years, if you exceed the IRS limit, and each company has their own way of calculating this, but if you exceed this the premiums in the first seven years, the policy becomes a modified endowment contract. For example, if you funded a policy for ten thousand dollars a year, you would have like space in that in that policy to add an extra maybe. Uh, five or six thousand dollars a year. On top of that, if you add more than that, and in, in, on, on average, if you add more than that, then the policy could become a modified endowment contract, and the insurance company would monitor this, and they would make sure that you're not in that range. Some, and then sometimes we intentionally do modified endowment contracts, like mm-hmm. in the sense of single premium policies, because you would be exceeding the seven-year, the seven-pay test or the seven-year limit within the first seven years. Like putting in four hundred thousand dollars, that would be a modified endowment contract. So the gains in the policy would only be taxable. And of course, a modified and dominant contract isn't bad. We, we sometimes intentionally do this uh, depending on the, the financial needs and wants of the client and, of course, the client understanding the taxable parts of the, of the policy. So you would be, if you did, for example, uh, the single premium policy, you would be taxed on only the gains within the policy.
0: Talk about the trade-off that you see where is kind of, I guess, the breaking point between the single premium policies versus the ongoing monthly or annual premium policies. What should the audience focus in on as far as that trade-off study, whether they should go with a ongoing premium or a one-time premium?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, to realize, currently where you're at financially, and what do you want to accomplish with that? So if you are looking for the higher liquidity, early liquidity, and considering even the, the taxable liability, the tax liability, then it could make sense to do the single premium. But if you are looking more, for example, for retirement planning, and to pretty much for 20 years, put in you know $10,000 a year, and then in retirement, we and we've projected this with other clients where they can put in, for example, $10,000 a year for 20 years, and then after 20 years, The policy then goes from receiving income to giving income. It becomes like a, it's almost like a pension. It becomes like a source of income in the future. We could turn it on to to the point where you can earn $30,000 a year. So three times that tax-free over the next 20 years. So you're paying in for every dollar you put in for 20 years. You're going to get three times that tax-free 20 years later for the next 20 years. So that's kind of like how, just to kind of give the audience an idea in their mind of, why somebody would do either, or why somebody would pay taxes within a single premium case, and then why somebody would fund a policy for 20 years you know, over time. And, and it depends on where they want to go, and if they're more concerned about retirement, and if they're more concerned about Earlier liquidity, if they have the business and they have partners, and their partners are more concerned about you know the value of the business, increasing the value of the business. Um, if so many different situations, so many different scenarios, it'd be you know almost impossible to guess what's the best way to what's best way to go. So that's why we do the financial analysis and we take our time during that call, and it's us just asking questions, just us kind of like getting an idea of where the business is going, where the person is going, where the partners are going. Um, and, and where they really want to, how they really want to use these policies to to leverage uh, their current situation.
0: If there's enough assets in the company or under the policy, and through a company structure, if that's what they choose to do, can you underwrite your own insurance policies?
1: Captive insurance essentially is like creating your own insurance company, right? It's it's you're creating your own like terms. We don't do captive. We're we're using already current insurance companies, you know, current products, already already written, already in place, and then using those. Pretty interesting too, because captive insurance can also help your business, but reach out to, you know, somebody who's more familiar with that. It's usually attorneys that help out with captive insurance because there's a lot of like laws that go into place and a lot of regulations when setting up captive insurance parts of your business. Uh, But we mostly focus on current already established companies and and products and almost in the sense that we are, you know, consumers or clients of the insurance company, uh, even if it's owned by a business and even if it's run by the business.
0: Understood. On the beneficiary side for a moment, can anybody be a beneficiary? Does it you know it doesn't necessarily have to be a US person, it could be anybody you designate as a beneficiary? Is that correct?
1: Yeah, exactly. It could be anybody you uh, you designate exactly. Sometimes insurance companies are a little bit picky on who it is and they want to see that it's like insurable interest. Like, for example, if it's two partners that own a business and they have you know two life insurance policies and then they're they're insuring each other. The insurance company would allow that because if one of the partners passes away, the other partner would be affected financially. And the same thing in the sense with families: if one, you know, parent passes away, the other, or if one spouse passes away, uh, there would be a financial impact on that. Or um, if there's a group of investors and one of them, you know, so there has to be kind of it has to financially make sense for who the beneficiary is. In, in other words, will somebody will that beneficiary be affected with your loss? Would, would they be affected financially? And that's what you kind of have sometimes you have to prove that with partnerships, with relatives. It could be a charity too. The beneficiary could also be a charity of your choice.
0: You can also set this up in a trust, or the beneficiary could be a trust. Uh, is that also acceptable?
1: Yeah, exactly. And and that's usually recommended if the if it's for a child that's under the age of 18, because there's you know different states and different laws about that about life insurance proceeds. Uh, being under the age of 18. So yeah, I could go to a trust too. And sometimes that's that's exactly what's recommended. It's, it's, it goes to a, a living trust or a different type of trust.
0: Sari, talk about what you're doing personally with the whole life insurance vehicle. What is your preferred investment strategy? Maybe talk about what you're doing personally using this.
1: Yeah, definitely. So I started my first policy um, putting in about $300 a month, And then I had, and I I set up the policy for it to to have a little bit more flexibility. So after the first year of of paying into the policy, the next year, what I did was, uh, because my income started to increase, I I paid the policy in full for, so in other words, uh, for the whole year, $3,600. And then I added um, about an extra $3,000 because I had room to do so in the policy without it becoming a modified endowment contract or a taxable contract. Uh, so I added. A, so I just wrote a check for $6,600 to the insurance company. And then now we're starting our second policy for my wife. She's a nurse and she has a retirement plan at work. She has a 403B, but we wanted, based on our retirement goals, we we're, were thinking that it's the 403B is not going to be enough. It's just not going to be enough for retirement. And there's also some volatility connected to that because parts of the retirement plan from work are, are in the stock market. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but we do need some sort of hedge against, a, you know, who knows what's going to happen in the stock market. Um, so, so we're setting up a policy for her. We're going to do a little bit more, probably $500 a month for her. So that's how we're setting it up. And then I'm working on my third policy. Um, it's going to be the single premium case, but it's to, this is an interesting case. It's with Lafayette Insurance Company. It's a very rare case in the the life insurance world, Um, and it's with Lafayette Insurance Company. It's called the Academy product, and it's what it is essentially. It's it's a single premium whole life policy, a one-time transaction, one-time payment, and it could be any amount between, I think, $10,000, and really there is no limit as long as you can prove that insurable limit, and then you could, then add more into the policy, like as if you had a checking account or savings account, how you could just add more into it when you get more money. So that's what I'm setting up next. It's gonna, I'm gonna do a $20,000 Academy product and just be able to add more in. And I've worked on different ones for my clients. Um, I've worked on a couple, that were a a couple hundred thousand dollars. I'm just doing that because of, uh, my budget, I'm gonna do twenty thousand dollars and then add more towards it as i I get more money, but it's not I'm not locked into like for example twenty thousand dollars a year if i if I commit to twenty thousand dollars a year, I have to meet a certain amount of that every year to keep the policy living. but with this academy product, I could fund the policy and then as I'm earning more, for example, I could say you know five percent of all my sales will go directly into this policy, and then I'm I'm also going to earn interest on that money. Whatever is sitting in the policy at that time, I'll earn compound interest and dividends on that amount. So if in year one I put in twenty thousand, and then I put in a couple hundred dollars for the next couple of years, and then the third year or fourth year I put in you know a hundred thousand dollars on top of that, and I increase the limit to a hundred and twenty thousand plus the dividends and interest that I'm gonna then the insurance company is gonna calculate. The overall balance and then provide dividends and interest on that overall amount, and the same thing the life insurance part also increases so this is a this is a long term it could be a long-term plan and it's also i could borrow this money at any time i could borrow up to 80 percent of that money at any time uh, of whatever the balance is in there so it's kind of this is something that it's only one company like lafayette insurance company and only one product the academy product product that could do this there is no out of the thousand whole life insurance companies in the U.S. None of them could do that. None of their products could do except for this company.
0: Okay. Are you holding this policy personally to where you just simply, uh, you know, transfer some money from your bank to the account of the policy? And then also, what's the if there's any modifications as far as contributions and so forth, how do you affect those changes? Do you write up internally the amendments to those or how does that work?
1: Yeah, exactly. So I'm in this situation, I'm going to do it personally owned. I could do it under the business because of my situation. I'm going to do it personally. And I'm not saying that it has to be that way, but based on my situation, I'm going to do it personally. And when I want to add more into the policy, there's like a payment designation form that I would fill out. And I would say, I want to allocate X amount from my checking account. To the academy product, to the Lafayette Insurance Company, and they would take that out and apply that towards a policy. And whatever I put in would go directly into the cash value. So if I have twenty thousand, and then I add twenty thousand dollars on top of that, I'd see it would reflect directly in my cash value. It added right to the cash value. Uh, and then also vice versa, if I wanted to borrow from that, I would fill out a form asking how much I wanted to borrow, either withdrawal or loan. And both have their own reasons to why somebody would do that but I could borrow X amount of dollars and then they would ask me which bank do I wanna to send to it. I would put that check in routing number and then about five to seven business days later, they would send their funds, they would send the funds to that account. And then, in the sense that if I wanted to change, for example, the beneficiary or I could even change the ownership, I could sell like if I had the, if it was under the business name and then I sold the business, the new business owner would buy that policy, buy the cash, value and everything in that policy, so we would do a, an endorsement to change the name of the owner, change the name of the beneficiary that could that could also be done too
0: what about as far as your your particular maybe just speak to your personally preferred investment strategy with it i mean maybe just talk about what kind of asset classes you're looking at as far as your investments are you looking at a blend of things and the stock market bonds uh, collectibles What, what are you doing specifically maybe you can share some of your i guess your conviction for certain investment vehicles that you think is is the better way to to grow this
1: yeah definitely so i'm actually i'm getting into real estate investing that's my preferred I want to jump into real estate investing, and I also want to get into private money lending, and I'm helping clients set this up too as well. So like it's kind of like I'm doing this with them and private money lending, where for example, uh, somebody who's a real estate investor needs, you know, X amount of dollars by a certain date. um, Usually going to a bank, it's gonna take time, and there might be some delay in in closing on that property. Uh, So I could be either one person or a group of people with private money, and we could use our policies for that. To be able to borrow from the policy, and of course, as mentioned, my policies don't have that much in them yet. Uh, but uh, if, for example, I did have a policy with you know a couple hundred thousand dollars in, in the policy, I could borrow from the policy and then use that for private money lending and then charge interest on that loan. And of course, it's collateralized by the actual property. Um, and so use charge interest on that loan and earn interest from the the client, the borrower, and then keep earning interest in my policy. And then, in the sense with the academy product, what I could even do is, let's say I have you know twenty thousand in there, and I borrow eighteen thousand, and I loan that out to somebody, and I, with the interest, and over time I get back, you know, uh, let's say twenty five thousand uh, dollars. Just kind of just doing some quick math, I get back twenty five thousand. I could take all that twenty five thousand and then roll it back into the policy. So I paid up the loan and added the extra. Uh, premiums to build up the policy faster, and to earn more compound interest and more dividends on that amount, and then I could borrow from that, and then do that all over again, and kind of recycle my money, and it's kind of growing in two different places.
0: Yeah, very well. This, uh, sounds pretty good. And if there is losses, if you know certain things don't work out, if there is losses, uh, how is that uh, you know handled within the policy, and what are the advantages there?
1: If there is a loss, you'd still if you borrow from the insurance policy to fund an investment, and that there is a loss there. Uh, you would have to pay back that loan, but the the, the advantage is that you would be able to control the payback period, so you can kind of stretch it out. And we have a calculator that we use that we figure out what is the longest period of time you can stretch out that loan without number one the policy lapsing, and then number two, without paying more in interest to the insurance company than you're earning in interest. So that's kind of the advantages that we set up. If, if the client is in a situation where they lost and they need more time to pay back the loan, we would set up the policy for it to be as long as possible. And number one, to keep the policy living, to keep the dividends and and compound interest growing, but also so that way the client isn't isn't paying an extra amount of insurance to the insurance company. And of course, it's calculated based on 5% simple interest, but the policy is earning compound interest. So we want to see that split where they're earning more in the policy than they're spending on interest to the insurance company.
0: And sorry to wrap up here, why should the audience who is interested further use your services to help them establish this vehicle?
1: A lot of reasons. For risk mitigation purposes, the tax benefits, for the level of integration, uh, also for asset protection too. In most states, in most U.S. states, the cash value of a whole life insurance policy is protected from creditors and predators. It's judgment, uh, in a sense, judgment proof. And I'm not a lawyer, so consult with your lawyer before uh, taking these measures, but um, the, the the cash value is protected. So this could be a, uh, not only a fin- financial benefits as we've been talking about, but also legal benefits too, in the sense of Uh, being sued by outside parties, uh, the the whole life policy could be like a a financial safe zone for you and also liquid too, so you're not locking up your money somewhere and never able to touch it because it's protected from creditors and predators. It's also accessible. You can always access it and it keeps growing regardless of market conditions. You always have access to that money. You could control the payback period. You could use it for any investments. There are no restrictions. You have the ability in some policies to add more than what you're committed to. You have the death benefit. You have the tax-free growth. And also, in, in, in our sense, we don't, we're not charging annual consulting fees or annual service fees. We get paid one temporary insurance company up front, but we're clients, but we have our clients forever. So we always service the clients. They don't have to keep paying assets under management fees or consulting fees.
0: That's excellent. No, it really is a, an interesting vehicle and uh, certainly something that merits further investigation for those that are interested. And, Sari, how can the audience reach out to you for more information and any questions that they might have?
1: They can go to Finn. AssetProtection.com, It's F-I-N, assetprotection.com. And then there's a link. You can schedule a free appointment. Most of my clients are virtual, so we could do, we could jump on Zoom or over the phone and we could have a virtual call by going to uh, finassetprotection.com.
0: Well, very well. Well, Sari, this was a good chat. I appreciate your introduction of uh, yourself and your uh, services. And of course, this whole life insurance vehicle. Really appreciate you coming on and take care out there. Yeah, you
1: too. Thanks, Andrew, for having me on. I appreciate it.